This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. You're listening to 40K Stats Center Radio, where we bring you the hottest tracks from the world of competitive 40K. Next up is Boys to Florida Men with their hit single, Power Gaming Butt Cheeks. Power Gaming Butt Cheeks. Power gaming butt, uh. Power gaming butt, oh, look at my list, it's so lead. Power gaming butt cheeks. Power gaming butt cheeks. What are you going to do? I'm so fucking awesome, cover my list. Power, 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 power gaming butt, oh. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. Which is stronger, an iron hand or a glass hammer? We visit the UK to find out. Meanwhile, the Australians honor national icon Nicole Kidman by keeping their eyes wide shut at the Menza Masquerade. And the Scottish honor their national icon, Mel Gibson, at the Freedom GT. You know what I think? I think you should come home to come the apocalypse in Enterprise, Alabama. Finally, I'm pretty surprised we didn't get any blowback for my Swedish chef impersonation last week. So this week I'm playing it cool while we go to the SLG Champions Deuce Deuce. Here I go, here I go, here I go, fucking what's my weakness? Plastic men? And dated musical references? Nailed it. Between us and the Florida men, we will fill the world of competitive wargaming with beautiful music. We are the Simon and Garfunkel, the Andre 3000 and Big Boy, the... Oh, oh, hey, can we be the Daft Punk robots? Sure. Of competitive Warhammer media, and we're going to force feed you with the comings and goings of every major and GT that we can because nobody does it better. Well, Florida Men's a pretty good podcast, and you would have heard their, uh, their, their ripping new intro song, which I heard last week. Thought it was hilarious. Um, however, you're listening to this show, and speaking of which, last week I took the drastic action of plugging our own show, of all things, and it worked. So you know what that means? Uh, we're going to alienate our audience with endless calls to action. Exactly. So folks, as you can tell, the Hef and the Falcon love them some Hef and the Falcon. Mm-hmm. We're in this for nothing more than self-aggrandizing, and mm. that just can't happen if the algorithms aren't humming along to our tunes. So before we continue, stop what you're doing. If you're on YouTube, hit that thumbs-up button thing. Leave a comment. Tell someone why they're wrong and you're right. If you're listening via a podcast app, hit subscribe. And if you can, leave a review. Not sure if that's a thing anymore. Whatever. It's free for you to do, and it helps us spread the good news about the magical transformative power of international Warhammer competition. Aw, yeah, that's right. Because this week we're flying all around the world to provide you with clips from Australia, England, Sweden, and even the apocalypse. Uh, I mean, Alabama. So hold on to your asses because this podcast is a wheel in the ditch and a wheel on the track. 
Don't forget to check out the rest of the Frontline Gaming Network this week, of course. Art of War brought on Liam Hackett, my personal orc Jesus, to talk about being a mega knob. Pablo and the gang on Chapter Tactics went over some of what to expect from the SoCal Open. And Reese and probably Jason will continue their long-standing tradition of whispering awkward sexual innuendo while plugging whatever new products are coming down the pipes. It's definitely a good time to be alive. SoCal is on the horizon, and I'll be there at the stream table, passing out that hot shit, that rock shit, and putting some bounce in the mosh pit, as Limp Biscuit said once. If you're there, come say hi. Mariana won't even let me bite. I really appreciate you spelling out that particular reference, because it did go over my head. Now let's hear from BCP, and then smash out a few events, shall we? Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events easier easier our first event takes us to priorsley england where the only trip advisor review declares waste of a visit one star but clearly that reviewer didn't attend the glasshammer open the second hard-hitting yet delicate event brought to us by our friends over at glasshammer gaming the event used the eat Hey, wait a tick. They used a homebrew mission set? What's this all about? That's right. The event used the Glasshammer mission pack, which takes most of what makes an ETC mission and says, fuck it, we're going to use ITC secondaries instead, which, you know, is kind of cool. Yeah, essentially what you get is all the fun of preset deployment, eternal war, endgame missions as primary, and a tertiary kill point spread with none of those Zad, Panda, Zany, Randomness, Maelstrom cards that just fucking ruin everybody's day. You know what? It doesn't sound that bad. Let's kick it over to Head T.O., International Badmon, and lovely human Manny Chima for his breathless hot takes on the event. Theoretically, this time he didn't record from his car. Hi guys, Manny Chima here from Glasshammer Gaming. I'm here to talk to you a little bit about the Glasshammer Open that's just happened this past weekend. It it was absolutely awesome just to see that all the players enjoyed themselves and everybody had a good time. We basically, we implemented the Iron Hands FAQ because we thought it would be awesome for people to be able to use the new rules and to see exactly what people thought about it. And quite quite gentlemanly and very sportingly we we put all of the iron hands players which there were 10 10 or 11 of at our event in one group chat and i asked them all if they were okay with it and very sportingly they all said yes they all said they want to use the new rules because there's no point using rules that they'll only be able to use for one event and that made the event really really good so the glass hammer open this was only the second ever one of its kind. The first Glasshammer Open was last year, and we had about 60 players. And this year we had 84 who signed up. We had a couple of dropouts, so it was still fairly large. It was a 72-man event, and it was really, really good. Uh, no bad comments from anyone, except for about the catering, which uh, was actually pretty poor from the venue that we were at. Uh, we will sort that out for next year. But everything else was really good, and the level of competitiveness was 
awesome. There were loads of ETC players there. Most of Team England was there, so it was it was very, very good. And a lot of Team England hopefuls for this year were there. And also the train was pretty good. We obviously we have the terrain from uh, the Zagreb Croatia ETC and everyone got to play on that so they loved the terrain and we had two massive loss blockers in the middle of the board. The meta was actually pretty interesting to see because of the Iron Hands nerf there were still a couple of players that stuck to Iron Hands and the the most sort of prevalent build of them now after the FAQ was the flyer build. Uh, for example Alex Harrison came second and obviously great player. He was using six Ironhands planes and a Relic Leviathan Dreadnought with various combos of sorts and it was a really, really good army. He won all five of his games. Uh, Ash managed to take eight points off him and that's the only thing that made him come second in the event. And obviously the winner was Vic Vijay with his Raven Hands, his Raven Guard and Ironhands combo, which was awesome. It was... Uh, Raven Guard, Raven Guard combat and a little bit of Iron Hands shooting but not the Iron Hands you would expect. What was also very interesting to see actually is that White Scars, Raven Guard and Iron Hands were all on the top seven tables in the fourth round. So round four, the top seven tables was at least one Marine player against someone else. And the interesting thing about it was most of the armies were very different from each other. Um, oh, there was an Imperial Fist army as well. So in the top seven, on the top seven tables, we had Raven Guard, Iron Hands, White Scars, and Imperial Fists. But then we also had Orcs, Admech, Knights, Tau, and something else as well. So we, we had a very, very mixed field, which was great to see again. Oh, and Eldar was up there. So it was actually very varied after the FAQ hit the Iron Hand. So I think the FAQ has balanced them. They're not broken anymore, but they're not rubbish, as Alex has proved by coming second at the event. So um, the list that did quite well as well is um, going into the final round. If you notice, going into the final round, the top table was Raven Guard versus Raven Guard and Iron Hands. But then the next table was Iron Hands against Gene Stealer Colts. So Gene Stealer Colts beat Marines in, their, in game four. And then on the third table, you had Kyle Grundy's Tau against Tom Higginbottom's Orcs. So Tau beat marines round four orcs beat marines round four and gene stealer cults beat marines round four and then they all played each other in round five and overall it was absolutely awesome the event the event went really well and everybody enjoyed themselves and everybody had really really tough games going into rounds four and five and i i, I love that vic won because vic is a lovely guy absolute gentleman great sport and great player so congratulations vic Given that the event took place in the UK, there were only five rounds. Yes, a country that can spend three days watching a single cricket match cannot seem to handle playing four rounds of 40k on a Saturday, and as a result, we were left with two undefeated players, one slightly more undefeated than the last. We'll kick off with the second place player first. A man whom you probably have never heard of and who has never gotten the 40k internet in a tizzy about anything other than his unusual opinion about the order in which you should put jam and cream on a scone. That's right, it's Alex Cream First Harrison. Of course, the lovable teddy bear that he is, he decided to bring out just a mostly for funsies list, Iron Hands Airwing. Let's take a look at what he brought. Alrighty, we got Alex Harrison's... Adeptus Astartes list here. Uh, first attachment is a spearhead led by a Primaris Lieutenant 
uh, with a mastercrafted auto bolter, and of course the iron stone. Uh, with him is a librarian, and then in the heavy support slot we've got uh, three hunters with sky spear missiles, and then two fire uh, sorry, sorry two thunderfire cannons, and uh, the re relic leviathan dreadnought with our friends the storm cannon array. Uh, array and uh, of course it's made into a character with the march of the ancients uh, trait uh, is given a warlord trait merciless logic uh, then he brings an air wing with uh, three stormhawk interceptors with a twin assault cannon and last talon and typhoon missile launchers and then finally he brings another air wing with three storm talon gunships with twin assault cannons and a typhoon missile launcher so he's gone from the El Air Dari to the uh, Iron Hands Air Force, I guess. Although uh, one thing that caught my eye there, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, are, are the Hunters. That was a bit of the Josh Death LGT tech. He may have retired, yeah. but they didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, those Hunters are they're a nasty little piece of work for 75 points. Uh, the big thing is is that they make an excellent uh, board control piece in most of your matchups. Um, they're Toughness 8 for a 75-point model um, with the 12 wounds, I believe, they have, plus iron hands on top of that. Um, they make they just make for excellent board presence. You can shove them up the board, move advance, pop smoke. You're not really caring too much about the missiles. I mean, if you're up against uh, opposing flyers, which in a, our current meta you're almost guaranteed to be, what with Crimson Hunter Exarchs actually getting better and these iron hands airs lists uh, coming out more and more, um, the the one the single shots not, nothing to, to scoff at but it's what the real strength of them is just how much board control you can get out of these models it's something your opponent has to deal with I like them better as white scars because of the speed the move advance charge mm -hmm. um, but even as iron hands if you're going to keep it mono to keep your uh, doctrine benefits it's it, it's a really nice piece of tech it's uh, everything I wish a battle wagon could be mostly the seventy five point uh, points cost um, all right so why don't we Hand it off to the man himself and uh, let him share his thoughts on his 5-0 journey through the Glass Hammer Open. Hey guys, this is Alex. I'm back from the Glass Hammer Open where I came second. Big shout out to Val and the infamous Falcon for having me on again. Appreciate it. Um, so you guys have asked me to go over my list and how it worked. Um, before I go into that, I just want to say uh, the Glass Hammer Open was basically a mixture of ETC and ITC missions. Um, and they used the new FAQ um, for the Iron Hands. So my list was an Iron Hands successor, which I changed last minute because we were allowed to change our lists because of the FAQ and how massively it changed things, which was nice of the guys. Um, and everyone came to an amicable um, solution because we decided that it was unfair to everyone else if we didn't use the new FAQ. And let's be honest, they were ridiculous beforehand. So that was really nice. Um, so yeah, I'll just go over my list and how it worked. So my list was comprised of fundamentally six flyers, which were the three Stormhawk intercessors and three Storm Talons. Um, and they all had missiles. The Stormhawks had Laz Talons and obviously everyone had Assault Cannons. And then around that, I based the list on what I might play against so uh, and how it can work in the missions. So I had a uh, Lieutenant and a Librarian. And uh, the Lieutenant had an Ironstone, the Librarian, I basically changed powers depending on what I played against, what I needed. And I had a Relic Leviathan Dreadnought, and then I had three Hunters and two Thunderfire Cannons, so no troops. Now the reason for the Hunters, uh, which were actually really strong, um, they could sit at the backfield, be used as uh, engineers, and 
um, just plink away wounds throughout the game because, well, they didn't die any game, um, so they were really useful. Um, the Relic Leviathan Dreadnought I basically put in last minute because he abuses the Ironstone the most. And of course, by being able to abuse that Ironstone, he was almost indestructible. Again, he didn't die at once either. He drew a lot of firepower at first. Once people realized he just wouldn't die, um, he could just move into the board and start shooting. Now, I gave them the army uh, long-range marksman for the extra three-inch range so he could threat more. And I gave them stealth so the whole army was still just as durable, even without that 5-plus vulnerable. I actually found it uh, a lot more useful across all the games, so I'm glad that I made those changes. Um, and I think you'll be seeing that moving forward. Thunderfires were um, doing what Thunderfires do. And the planes were all my MVPs, if I was perfectly honest with you. They did every role I expected them. And the reason I gave them all the big weapons was just in case I did face another sort of mech gun line of some description. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I won every game. One of them I didn't get as many points as I could have. Um, so I ended up coming second. But really good games, different variety of games there. And it was awesome. I think overall the list works really well uh, in terms of synergy with the backfield and the pressure from the flyers and the Leviathan pressing up. A lot of people were saying, oh, it's going to get caught in combat and things like that. Um, but with the flyers being able to block uh, and me blocking my backfield of anything deep striking or infiltrating through, um, it meant that it was very difficult for my opponent to sort of catch me off guard. Um, going forward, I think there's a few changes I might make, um, such as dropping the Leviathan Dreadnought. I think it's a trap. Um, however, it it's like a 50-50 mix. It's either going to win you a game or lose you a game because it's just doing nothing for 303 points because of the short range. Um, but there's definitely a few variations I want to uh, build upon going forward. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, there's lots of new codexes and options to come out. And uh, yeah, we'll see how I go from there. Thanks again, guys, for listening. And I'm sure I'll catch up with you soon. Uh, I want to also give a big shout out to uh, Ash Loftus, who um, made a really tough game for me um, in the second round. Now, the mission wasn't great. There was only one objective in the middle for primary, and obviously the rest was secondary and tertiary, which is ITC missions and kill points. Um, he was playing four knights, and he played really reserved, basically pushed forward, then just kited me back, wouldn't allow my dreadnought to shoot, and it he played it really perfectly, if, I was honest, if I'm perfectly honest with you. Um, and he was playing for a draw. He got eight points out of the 20, so it forced me down to 12. Uh, but it was really tight throughout, um, and it was a really tactical game, and he caused me the biggest problems, I think, throughout the weekend. And it was a really, really tight and close game. So thanks for that, Ash. And also, I just want to give a shout-out to Vic, who came first. Really well done. Uh, he has a bit of a mix army of Raven Guard and Iron Hands, which I'm sure he'll be discussing on here. Really great guy and well-deserved win for him. So going into the final round, I played against James McKenzie, who is a well-known ITC player. Uh, he plays Gene Steeler Colt, and he's been playing them for a while now. He's a really top top guy. We had an awesome game, but unfortunately it was quite a bad matchup for him because he's obviously playing against Flyers, which, let's be honest, Gene Steeler Colt aren't great at playing against. Uh, he had a really good mission, and he had a really good plan to cover as many objectives as he can to get scoring every turn. Um, but unfortunately, because of the way I intercept my... Um, intersect my flyers um, uh, but basically position them in a way where I move them left to right moving them forward left to right and cornering and angling them even without the double move from the um, plane uh, Eldar plane vector dancer 
um, I was able to block him out for three turns and then move up and finish him off. Um, so by the end of turn five, I think he was pretty much tabled. Um, but apart from that, it was a really tight game at the beginning, sort of first four turns, but it was a big 20-0 for me uh, by the end of it. Of course, battle points being battle points and being ever so slightly less than perfect meant that Alex seeded the top spot to Vic VJ. This is Vic's first appearance on the show and his first major win of the year. He's put up some decent showings around the UK this year, including a top three finish at the LWG Open at the start of the season. Uh, Vic, of course, was running some heat himself, so let's have a look at that list, shall we? For sure. So Vic Vijay here, he ran a Raven Guard successor battalion. He used Hungry for Battle and Whirlwind for, of Rage for his uh, successor traits. Um, he had a Captain with Thunder Hammer, Jump Pack, and Storm Shield, a Chaplain with Jump Pack, Storm Bolter, and the Crozius for his HQ slots. His troops were three squads of five scouts with combat knives. And then he had two four-man Assault Centurion squads, one with uh, full Hurricane Bolters and Flamers, the other using the Centurion Assault Launchers and Flamers. He then had an Iron Hand Successor Battalion with Stealthy and Master Artisans as the successor traits. Um, he had a Primaris Captain with the Stalker uh, Bolt Rifle and Power Sword, a Lieutenant with was just plain Jane with a Chainsword and Bolt Pistol, and three squads of five Intercessors with Stalker Bolt Rifles. And then he rounded it out with an Iron Hand successor, Spearhead, also stealthy and master artisans. This one had another Smash Captain, Captain with Thunder Hammers, Jump Pack, and Storm Shield. In the Elite slot, he had a Relic Contemptor Dreadnought with two uh, twin LAS cannons, as well as a Cyclone Missile Launcher, and four Servitors to make sure that Relic slot uh, was uh, used properly. And lastly, he had three Thunderfire Cannons and a Mortis Dreadnought with two twin LAS cannons. Not too shabby. Now, off the air, you were telling me that you feel this might be one of the strongest lists in the meadow. What what makes you think that? Well, you're seeing it pretty frequently, um, or at least variations thereof, either a Raven Guard or White Scars, which, which is the more popular uh, variant. You see John Lennon run, for example, um, where you take uh, White Scars or Raven Guard Assault Centurions anywhere between 8 and 12. Uh, depending on what you like. And they're kind of your front force. So you're going to be hitting your opponent uh, either turn one or turn two really hard with this uh, high-powered melee unit that they have to deal with. Meanwhile, in your backfield, you've got a character dreadnought. In prefac, you would have had two to five, depending on the list. But now you're looking at just one plus a second dreadnought that you can buff with the ironstone or and with the stratagems to keep it alive so that your opponent can't target one and the other one becomes nigh unkillable mm. just from the uh, the series of buffs that you're going to apply to it so it's got the negative one damage it's having damage uh, from incoming um, fire it just le it lets you have these two uh, platforms that are putting out a ton of very reliable fire i mean in this case four las cannons a piece um, with Master Artisans re-rolling, you know, one hit and one damage roll, uh, one wound roll per turn. Um, it just does a, it does a lot. It, the list has a lot going for it. And I mean, three front Thunderfire Cannons. Thunderfire Cannons are amazing right Legit, now. Yep. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah, it's a really solid list. It plays really well into the mirror, um, especially if you're expecting a lot of Repulsor Executioners on your opponent's side, um, which, of course, they've died down since the FAQ. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like the list a lot. Fantastic. Okay, well, why don't we hand it over to the Glass Hammer uh, champ himself, Vic VJ, uh, to share the details of how it all went so right. Hey guys, big fan of the show. Uh, thank you for having me on. Just going to talk to you about my experience at the Glass Hammer Open this weekend. 
I brought my take on mixed chapter space marines um, and uh, yeah it worked out pretty well so I had my list split up into one third of melee which was a raven guard successor and the other two thirds was the shooting element of the list and uh, at face value the list doesn't seem uh, that overwhelmingly powerful it doesn't have the uh, the melee prowess of a full white scars or raven guard list or the overwhelming shooting of a full iron hands list but it's the synergy between the two halves that um, really helped me out during the tournament this weekend Using Raven Guard instead of White Scars on the Centurions was really effective for my game plan, which was essentially to try and limit how much damage my army was taking each turn. Being Raven Guard means that if I go second, uh, which I always assume I am gonna, um, I end up master of ambushing a unit of Centurions behind line of sight blocking terrain. And the second unit, which had full Hurricane Bolt, was almost always in deep strike regardless. On the shooting side, the Thunderfire cannons could also hide behind line of sight blocking. I put most of the infantry also behind line of sight blocking, and one of the dreadnoughts was a character dreadnought. We were playing with the Iron Hands FAQ active, um, which made a difference. We were allowed to change our lists uh, just before the tournament started, so my second Mortis dreadnought was replaced with a Relic Contemptor, who was really, really tough. Actually, I didn't lose him at all during the entire tournament between taking half damage and a tech marine being able to repair him twice. Um, he actually ended up pushing a lot of people out of position. My MVP unit for the tournament was the Thunderfire Cannons. I was running three of them uh, with Master Artisans and a Captain and a Lieutenant in range as well. Um, they had very, very consistent firepower throughout all six turns of every single game and uh, while they didn't maybe kill the most tough things in the enemy's army they did kill the things which allowed me to score points in the mission so they were very critical to me getting big wins in games um, and also maintaining momentum throughout the whole game my favorite game of the weekend was my second game against a very good player called malik from the uk and he was running a very overwhelming gun line of custodies tanks and imperial guard tank commanders um, I knew it was going to be a very challenging game, especially because I was going second during that game. Uh, but the whole list came together in that game, and uh, I put a unit of Centurions in the very corner of the board with Master of Ambush near his deployment zone, which forced him around the other way and pushed him into some uh, awkward firing angles and also towards two, my two Smash Captains. Uh, he was slowly picked apart one tank at a time from that position, and uh, I ended up getting the max win out of that one. The top table game was against an absolute gentleman called Sam, who was also playing Raven Guard, but full Raven Guard. I got first turn in that game, which did help me, but everything went Sam's way for the first uh, two turns. He really had all the momentum, and everything was working in terms of his saves. Um, but the turning point came in turn three, when he finally managed to fail a charge, and that charge was on his big unit of Centurions. The momentum completely shifted at that moment um, because I had free reign to shoot at the Centurions, remove that whole unit, and then when we suddenly looked at the board, he had no more melee threats left. He only had a few backfield shooting units, and over the last few turns of the game, I was able to pick those off and go in for a big victory. Just want to give a shout out to the tournament organizers, Manny Chima and Dan Bates, who set up Glasshammer Gaming and Glasshammer Elite. Um, they're absolutely top guys and they ran a brilliant tournament. 
I'm very confident that as they continue to grow, they'll become the premier uh, organizers of competitive tournaments in the UK, and they're based very centrally in England. Congrats to you both, and before we go, why not a special little announcement from the Batmany himself? Thank you very much for having me on the show again, guys. It's always a pleasure to do this. Uh, I hope at some point I win another big event and uh, I'll be on again because it's always fun doing things like this. And anybody that's at the LVO, I'm coming to the LVO. Manny will be representing Glasshammer this year. Woo-woo! I'll see you later, guys. Thank you very much. Tournament news. Hi, guys. I'm Manny Chima, one of the founders of Glasshammer Gaming and the head coach for the Glasshammer List Writing and Coaching Service, and you're listening to the 40K Stats Centre. The Men's Masquerade took place this last weekend in beautiful Australia, and no one gave a shit. But you know what? They really fucking should have. Men's is an annual narrative-slash-competitive GT that takes place in Victoria, Australia, and just like any masquerade, I'm pretty sure it really is just covering for some kind of cult or swinger sex club, or some combination of the two, like a some kind of weird swinger sex club cult that brings together only the cream of the crop in Australian competitive play. I'm pretty sure it's more of a renaissance fair situation. Sure, 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 yeah, whatever. That's exactly what Nicole Kidman thought, and it ruined her marriage to the Maverick. And they had fucking children, Val. Anyway... Here's what this year's TO, Jeremy Marigold Martini, had to say about this year's take. Hey guys, so the Masquerade began as a narrative event four years ago, and it's maintained that narrative focus ever since. Uh, The idea is that when you attend the Masquerade, you're going to like a medieval-themed festival with dancing and jousting and feasting, and of course some mystical kind of witchcraft and the occult occurring under the surface that might take the form of of a kind of a whodunit or trying to find out what's going on, what the mystery is, who the secret attendee is. And this year I took it up to another level, I think, with a kind of, it was kind of a, an a overlay event that was occurring with, with objectives that were separate from the, the normal ITC 2000 point format. So the tournament was a 2000 point ITC, but every mission had an additional kind of narrative component that you could choose to achieve um, that didn't affect the top tables. If people just wanted to try their best to take the win down, they didn't have to go for the narrative component. But those people that were involved in that had a lot of fun, and I had a special prize for that at the end. So the narrative missions worked is that in the player pack and then on day one, I let people know that the story was that a witch called the Beauty of Otranto had attended the Masquerade Ball, and everyone was convinced she was dead. But the reason she wasn't dead was because she's a disciple of Lucius and actually possesses those people that kill her. So in the missions themselves, people had to follow the narrative or be eliminated from the narrative missions. So in mission one, um, the goal, you had to pick recon. In mission two, the witch was bewitching your warlord, therefore you couldn't use any stratagem points. And this continued until mission five when you'd just killed the witch, but she'd possessed your warlord. And then in order to win, you had to sacrifice your warlord as early as possible. But the final, um, the final objective was actually delivered via a riddle. So people had to work out what the mission was. And it worked, was a really good success overall. So I'm definitely going to be continuing this again. Thing I'm very proud of with the Masquerade is its diverse nature and its ability to really pull in a wide cross-section of the Australian community. This year, we had players from Western Australia, from New South Wales, and a really large contingent from Queensland. It was 15 people. So even though the event was only a 42-player event, it really did represent not only that kind of Shark Tank style, but the best players, best groups of players from 
throughout Australia pretty much overall. So it was really exciting to see those players clashing. And it also gives the local community, you know, new faces. So you don't keep on seeing the same faces. Um, And also a lot of the people that come down to the masquerade know each other from other events like ETC or from um, the Australian Team Challenge and also from events like CanCon. So it's really nice to be able to have beers afterwards and see our old friends again. I think Marines have caught people extremely flat-footed just because of how many ways you can play Marines. At Masquerade, uh, there was a lot of Iron Hands. There were also some Raven Guard and White Scars. And going forward, we're going to see a lot of Salamanders and Imperial Fists as well. And with all these different armies playing in different ways, utilizing different stratagems and different kind of like crutches, it's very hard to bring like an Eldar list or an Orc list or a GSC list that just counters Marines overall. So people really have to kind of take a stand and say, I'm going to try to beat this style of list. And for that reason, I think a lot of the list writers, the people that are really kind of innovative are actually using that power to build their own Marine lists at the moment. So it'll take a while, I think, before the innovators switch to countering Marines. So I think we do, we will see a bit of a Marine meta for a little while to come. Yep, that all sounds like a weird sex cult to me. Okay, now to give you an idea as to just how thick this event was with Musk and Warhammer acumen, the majority of this year's Australian ETC team were in attendance, as well as most of their top ITC performers this year. Names like Liam the Good Doctor Hackett, Peter Redbeard Platel, Lee the Abbot of Pain Abbey, Eric Little Red Ragged Hood Lathurus and Hayden the Mallard Walduck were all in, guns out. For an Aussie, simply attending the event is like starting day two of LVO with a winning record and having to deal with the consequences of your success. After two days of fun and foreplay, the table was set for the grand finale. Rory Silverhand Argent, with his Iron Hands and Feet list, would be taking on Matt the Plague Hulk Borisoli to see who would be crowned the Belle of the Ball, or whatever they call the best masquerade person. We've had Matt on the show a number of times before. He is arguably the most successful player of 40K in Australia, and his slew of top table performances this year don't leave much room for debate. He has made a number of changes to his list since we last talked to him, not even three weeks ago after his last GT win. Now let's take a quick peek uh, before we let him hit you with the download. So Matt number one more solely brought a Chaos Demons Battalion of the Chaos Undivided type. His HQs were a Changecaster and Poxbringer. His troops were a 20-man Bloodletter Squad, a three-man squad of Nurglings, and a 28-man Plaguebearer squad. He then had a Thousand Sons Battalion with Ariman on a disc, two Demon Princes of Zinch, two, uh, sorry, one squad of 10 Chaos Cultists, a squad of 20 Zangors, and then a second squad of 15 Zangors. And then he rounded it up, and this is where he kind of changed up his list the most, having dropped a number of Bloodletters and uh, Zangors to, to fit this in, as well as his... Um, corn demon prince he has a demon prince of nurgle with three plague burst crawlers from the death guard codex all right so i'm sure he must touch on that in his clip um but what's up with the demon prince of nurgle well i mean if you're going to be running death guard uh to get those to get access to those plague burst crawlers the demon prince of nurgle is no slouch um if you're Depending on what he's doing, if he took the separating plate on it, I believe he can. Um, that's the one where every successful save he makes, um, it 
can do a mortal wound to the person making the attacks. Okay. So it works really well if he's expecting a lot of uh, close combat up in his face. Um, and then Plague Burst Crawlers, they're really, well, I mean, people, we've talked about them for a year and a half now. They've kind of dropped in popularity with the kind of demise of the Death Guard Codex. They yep. just no, never see Death Guard at all other than Mortarian, really. Um, but, I mean, that's still probably, other than Mortarian, the best unit in that Codex. It's not like it got worse. Um, so like it's super, they're super tough. They're mobile. You can flamer people if they get too close. Um, and they do a ton of damage with, uh, that, uh, ignores line of sight. So there's not a whole lot negative about them. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's kick it over to, to Matt who gave us one unabridged clip and find out what he has to say about himself. G'day guys. Uh, Matt Morisoli here. I went for one at the men's masquerade on the weekend playing a modified uh, mixed chaos soup list uh, with plague bearers, smites, and all that sort of goodness. Um, I lost on the top table to Rory Argent's uh, Iron Hands Intercessor Spam Army. Uh, with the, the rise in power of the uh, Iron Hands, Space Marines, White Scars, everything, uh, I don't really think the chaos soup list is quite strong enough uh, to be competing at the top level anymore. It's unfortunate when you, you build and, you know, play an army for so long and it gets invalidated by a release, but uh, I suppose it's happened to everyone at some point in time. Uh, I have sort of opted to pull some of my offensive power out. I, I was running 40 blood letters uh, for quite a long time, as well as two units of plague bearers. Um, I opted to pull a unit of blood letters out, the the corn uh, lumberjack demon prince out, and the second unit of blood, uh, plague bearers out, and replace them with uh, three... Uh, Plague Burst Crawlers and the Death Guard uh, Separating prince, uh, Plate Prince. The thought being here is that you can't really engage the Iron Hands army head-on. Uh, my army only has a couple of little chaff units that are likely to get picked up by uh, sort of random indirect fire. Uh, and once those are dead, it's actually very hard for the Iron Hands player to get kills on me if I'm hiding as much stuff as possible. And the Plague Burst Crawlers and the Demon Prince are actually pretty efficient at getting uh, small kill points back off of the Marine Army, um, potentially in turns where they can't kill anything, uh, and getting the, the kill, kill more uh, to no kill swing is very big in a lot of turns. Uh, they're also really good at shooting at Thunderfire Cannons, so uh, very, very bad stratagem for the Chaos Army is the, uh, the Tremor Shells or whatever it's called that halves the movement on the Plague Bearers, but being able to Pop off some uh, Plague Burst Mortars at the Thunderfire Cannon itself. They only have four wounds, D3 damage. Uh, so if you get lucky, you can knock them off early, um, pick up a kill, and also stop yourself from getting stuck in the the half move, uh, which is very detrimental to an army that wants to be moving and hiding and trying to score objectives. Additionally, picking uh, secondaries that allow you to score uh, progressively, such as Recon uh, and Engineers, is really good. Plague Bearers are a very good Engineer unit. Uh, I've talked about that a few times on this show, um, as well as uh, Nerglings for Recon, uh, using Dark Matter Crystal and the drops, the Blood Letters and the Zangors to go into other corners of the board and wrap something uh, and get Engineers for a couple of turns that way, as well as very strong. Uh, unfortunately, on the top table against uh, Rory's Iron Hands, I couldn't get it done. Uh, he had a lot of Intercessors, and I managed to kill... Uh, Pretty much all of them. There was only really one unit left alive at the end of the game and a few stragglers from a couple of other units. Uh, 
but that's about all I did. Uh, the turning point was probably on turn five. Uh, it was actually very close. It might, it might even have been drawn at that point in time. It would have been one point in it either way. Uh, but I lost my remaining uh, 10 or so plague bearers to a couple of uh, stalker bolt rifles and indirect fire. Uh, this opened up a demon prince to get shot by the, the quad las cannon dreadnought, which uh, yeah unfortunately died as well. Uh, the swing here was I lost uh, a unit that was on an objective. Um, I got a kill. Uh, Rory didn't get a kill up until he killed those plague bearers. Uh, and had he not killed them, I would have got kill more. Uh, I would have got hold more. And it would have actually been a, a four-point swing. I think I might have been able to hold on for a draw had that happened. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Uh, I don't really have a specific MVP unit for the army either. It's, uh, look, I feel like the overall power level of this version with the, the Plague Burst Crawlers is a lot worse than the one with more demons, uh, just more offensive drops. But this is sort of what I resorted to in the attempt to uh, be a bit more survivable. The Death Guard Prince is very good. Blades of Petrification is a very good power. You couple it with Vets of the Long War and you can get Mortal Woods on fives. In my game against the... Uh, the Eldar planes, I threw him in and he killed two planes over a couple of turns, uh, plane and a half or so, whatever, whatever it may have been, just through uh, punching them and winning them on twos and getting a few extra mortal wounds here and there. It was very strong. That's about it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Matt's opponent, Rory. Well, he's a different story. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> a member of the prestigious Godhammer gaming team, Rory has had more success this year in team events, helping Godhammer to first and fifth place showings at separate majors, but with little to show so far this season on his own. Of course, that did change here, as he took it to his opponents with a unique take on the Iron Hands character Dreadnought list that has had some success, though definitely has become a different beast post-FAQ. Val, do you have uh, that list up? Oh, I got it dialed in, locked, and ready. Here we go. We're starting off with a battalion detachment of those... Ever so friendly, Iron Hand Space Marines. I'm going to cough. We're going Pablo style. I'm not editing that out. First up, leading the detachment, we've got a captain in Phobos armor um, uh, with a camel cloak and master crafted instigator bolt carbine, and then a primaris lieutenant with the uh, bellicose bolt rifle and master crafted auto bolt rifle. And then in the troop section, my favorite part of this list. We've got five units of intercessors, each with a sergeant with a power sword, all rock and stalker bolt rifles. So that's 50 intercessors. That's pretty cool. In the heavy support slot, we've got a thunderfire cannon and then two whirlwinds uh, with obviously the whirlwind thing. And then uh, we have another battalion detachment. In this one, we've got the Iron Father Fieros with a Primaris chaplain. Uh, and then uh, three units of scouts with sniper rifles. And then finally, in the heavy sports slot of this battalion, we've got two Mortis Dreadnoughts with two twin last cannons on each, rocking at about 1996 points, looking pretty spicy. Now, did this tournament, I don't know if we've talked about this, did they use the fact? No, so this was one of the events that did not. Uh, both Men uh, Menza and I believe the other one we're going to be talking about that did not was um, come the apocalypse what? didn't. Yes, come the apocalypse. The, the other three that we're talking about today did in fact implement the fact uh, on short notice. Um, what's I, what I love about this list is that post FAQ 
most of it still works. The mm -hmm. only thing that Rory would really have to change here is one of those Mortis Dreadnoughts. And I mean, theoretically, he doesn't even have to do that. Um, like we mentioned uh, when we were discussing Glasshammer in Vic's list, um, he can just have one of the the Mortis Dreads uh, focused on with an Iron Stone and uh, the, the stratagems to keep it alive while the other one maintains its character status. I really enjoy this list. It's, uh, it's, it's a unique take on that style. Instead of using um, Assault Centurions and trying to like murder your opponent and with these ultra-aggressive uh, distraction card effects, you're just like, here, deal with 50 to 60 really hard to kill bodies that now have a five plus 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 their feel no pain uh plus whatever else you want to give them it's uh it's really i like it i like it a lot yeah absolutely so let's uh kick it over to rory himself and allow him to uh take us into some of the nitty-gritty about his experience i guess the main thing i focused on when i was designing the list was how am i going to beat other marine armies and more importantly how am i going to beat the triple repulsor iron hands list um, I was looking through some of the lists from, I think it was Moab, uh, a few weeks back, and I found the Mortis Dread that Chris Wright was running in his list, and I thought, wow, that's actually a really cool idea, and thought of taking the two Mortis Dreads as the characters sitting behind an infantry carpet, which is really hard to kill, so having eight Laz Cannons that they just can't target, I felt would be enough to really put the pressure on the Repulses and maybe make them misplay or something like that, and yeah, I found it, it worked really well. I would definitely have to say it's the Intercessors that was the MVP of my army. You know, not just the damage output, the ability to threaten characters and stop them from coming out to the open where they might be more viable for the army, uh, but also just the, the sheer amount of damage it takes for them to actually die. Because, you know, five up invo, six up feel no pain, and then the defensive strats that you can use from Iron Hands and from the core book as well just makes them insanely hard to die. Even the triple repulses struggled to even put a dint in my army. So I really think they shined a lot in the army. My game three against Luke was by far my favorite moment of the event. He is a great player, a good friend of mine, and just really understands the list well. Uh, he really pushed me to my limits, and uh, and I, it, we just had a great game, you know? Like, lots of laughs, lots of fun, and just great energy between us. And I'm really happy to be sharing the podium with him, to be honest. I'd really like to give a shout out to Jeremy Martino, the TO. He ran an amazing event, such a high quality number of players with such a great turnout, great atmosphere, and just all round an enjoyable time. You know, I'm really looking forward to going again next year and hopefully taking out the podium again. But I mean, anything could happen between now and then. And yeah, just really looking forward. It's going to be a great time. In the end, Matt's chaos could not hold back the iron tide, and he was pulled under by the cold, heartless hands of certainty. Congrats to Rory on picking up the win in such a deep field. Hopefully you can get yourself out of the cult and move on to better things. Tournament News. I'm Stephen Ford, a.k.a. Juice from Team Battle Brothers Podcast, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. And now we whisk you away from those terrible, malformed souls that inhabit the Australian outback with their devil-may-care attitudes about sex, masks, and renaissance fairs, and over to the more civilized, beautiful country that is Sweden. Val, if we have learned anything, 
from four Netflix TV shows. It is that every town in Sweden is absolutely picturesque, the people are incredibly nice but weirdly secretive, and they have way too many murderers. It's actually pretty dark now that I think about it. You watch Swedish crime dramas? Who doesn't? Nordic crime dramas like Wallander or The Bridge are all like watching CSI, but better because the protagonists are three-dimensional. Uh, for example, they all have drinking problems. What does this have to do with Warhammer? Drunken Swedes, Val. Drunken Swedes. It's a trend. It is just way more awesome when it is Warhammer-related and not serial killer-related. Let's let T.O. Jonas Axelson explain. First of all, thank you for having me. I did not expect this, and it's great. Um, SLG started having their tournaments uh, in a casual format with many narrative campaigns, you know, one small, very friendly club, friendly and local. But then me and my friend decided to go to an ETC-based game, you know, try our chances in the competitive scene. So we went to Games of Westeros, that's one of the bigger ones in Sweden, and we loved it. It was great. Um, the people were great. The atmosphere were great. So we wanted to copy that and bring it to Stockholm. Because for some weird reason, it's no... There are no tournaments in Stockholm. The locales, it's hard to find locales in Stockholm. So we had our little locale, uh, our club room. So we started there. We could fit in 22 people. Uh, it was a little cramped, but we couldn't. So we initiated RTTs. We hosted several RTTs during the year, and, uh, and we wanted to go bigger, but we couldn't find any good locale. Until, during one of our drunk sprees, me and my friend went to a bar, we became really drunk, we joined some other drunk people, and during our way home we started talking about hobbies, and they talked about Warhammer, and we were like, oh, we play Warhammer too, what do you play? They played fa Fantasy Ninth Age, and we played um, 40k. And then we started talking about tournaments, and they showed that they were hosting um, one of the bigger fantasy tournaments, ninety tournaments, in Tumba uh, here in Stockholm. So, so during that drunken spree, we actually made a deal. Uh, we would co-host a tournament each year, uh, fantasy on one side and 40k on one side, and all of a sudden we have a bigger locale. So... We organized it, uh, we sent out invites, but they already had set a date, so we had a short notice period. We only had like two months to get people in there. But directly, the first day I think, we got 20 ap applicants, 20 people signed up for the tournament, and it was just amazing. Um, so that's how we did it. That's how we started our tournament uh, deal, and we're gonna continue having tournaments here in Stockholm uh, twice every year. Uh, one ETC and one ETC. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that properly. I can't pronounce my E's really. Anyhow, um, so that's how we started. We had some difficulties the last week before the tournament. The Iron Hand supplement had arrived a couple of weeks before and people just signed off from the tournament. We didn't know what happened. We had a 20% drop off from nowhere. So we started to investigate and we found out that the Iron Hands was broken. They were just taking everything by storm. They won all the RTTs, all the friendly games, all the matchups. I tried against my friend Nikolaisen, who one of those who got the fourth place on this tournament, and no one could defeat him. 
So we made a split decision and introduced the FIQ even after the cutoff, just to make it more even. It's supposed to be fun. That's why we play. It's a fun game. We don't just play to win. We play to have fun. And with a 20% drop-off, we couldn't really have fun. You know, because there was jokes going around that those four Iron Hand players who would show up could just roll a dice of the first place. But it didn't go like that. The FRQ really, even the playing field, of course the Marines had a huge advantage. There were 30% of the players who showed up played uh, the Marines, different kinds. But it was fun because everyone was experimenting still. There were no dedicated media yet. Uh, I met some infantry heavy armies. I saw some really mechanized armies. All different kinds of... Um, chapters and sub-chapters and so on. It was great. The best part was that the other armies actually adapted to the meta. Uh, no Space Marine list won all their games. Everyone on the top tables had one loss. And it wasn't decided until really the last half hour of the last game. Uh, there were, of course, five of the top ten tables were Space Marines, but the rest was still Xenos, and that was amazing. The Turnids had some great advantages because they could get in there, tie them up, stop them from shooting, and still could take the punches because the Space Marine hit like a train, but have limited amount of attacks. I think that the Iron Hand's going to be on the top meta still, even after the FAQ, because uh, I've seen several lists that was undefeated before the FAQ still just draw over all the competitors in this tournament. My friend Nikolaisen's list, uh, I practiced against it so many times, never won a single game. Uh, he tried it out on this tournament and he won his first four games, no problem, almost 35 points every time. He like The opposition didn't have a chance. It was just in the last game, he had really bad luck, also faced a great player, a tourney player called Abramson. And it just, he couldn't do anything, it locked him down. That would say they have the bodies on the floor and they just locked him down. He couldn't move. It was a game over before turn two. Like he needed to, like his opponent needed to win with more than six points for Nikolaisen not to win the tournament. But that that yes that game, it was an amazing one, and I think my friend could tell you more about it. Well, that's all, and thank you for having me. And I hope anyone in Stockholm that listens, come and visit uh, SLG Warhammer. We're a club in the old town. Yeah. This guy. I love this guy. I mean, Pete said, you know, you're going to have to cut a bunch of what he says because it goes on a while. But I didn't because that was some good content. And that is how you start a GT series, listeners. You can ask Reese Richard Robbins. You get drunk. You then get your friends drunk. You then find other nerds that are drunk at a bar. Profit. There's nothing to it. It is really unfortunate to hear about people dropping out of events due to the Space Marine meta, uh, particularly Iron Hands from a pre-FAQ standpoint. Um, and this isn't the first we've heard of it, but it is amazing to see people coming together like our friendly TO here and just having a great time anyway. Now, Jonas was so excited to be on the show that he blew the lead right out of the water, but that's fine. This stuff was just too good to cut, and as was mentioned, SLG Champions 2 would come down to Jonas's good friend, Johan Nicholson's Iron Hands, 
the only 4-0 player at the event after day two, drops going up against perhaps Sweden's top player, Carl Abrahamson's GSC. Let's start by taking a look at uh, Johan's list and then get a play-by-play -play from the man himself. So Johan Nikolaisen was running a battalion detachment of Iron Hand successors with the Master Artisans and Stealthy Successor traits. Um, he had for his HQs a Chaplain with Jump Pack, a Primaris Librarian, and a Primaris Lieutenant with Power Sword. He had three squads of five intercessors with them Stalker Bolt Rifles. He then had a Thunderfire Cannon. He then had a Spearhead Detachment, also Iron Hands with Master uh, Artisans and Stealthy. This had two Chaplain Venerable Dreadnoughts with a, a Twin Last Cannon and Dreadnought Close Combat Weapon. And then in his heavy support, he had two Repulsor Executioners and a Relic Leviathan Dreadnought. Let's hear what Johan has to say about this absolutely devastating list. When I did design my list, I was actually, you know, doing it pre-FAQ and everything. So, yeah, I was thinking building executioner fort, stand there, shoot everything, repair the tanks as needed. But uh, then the FAQ hit, we decided to use it, so I had to rethink a little bit. The basic ID was still viable. I mean, they still do a lot of damage. They didn't touch that at all. So I was like, yeah, I need to focus something on survival instead, and so let's go successors. And uh, I decided that uh, stealthy is always great, since a lot of other armies are shooting, and two-up armor on all your tanks, or cover save rather, is um, well worth it, really. A master artisan speaks for itself. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to have when you have high damage, uh, low shot count weapons, like the executioner's main cannon. So, yeah, that's that's what I decided to go with, and it worked out really well, actually. Um, surprisingly so. My Relic uh, Leviathan Dreadnought, for sure. I mean, two Storm Cannon Rays, two plus to hit, uh, reroll once. He deletes everything that is within range, really. And he, uh, in my both first and second matches, he did a wonderful job killing a lot of units and giving him the f uh, Consolidate Wall Trait. So he was really hard to lock in combat as well, which really, really helped. And uh, also, if you just buff his to hit, he will kill uh, flyers just as easily as anything else. So, And he works great as a distraction carnifex as well. And uh, many of my opponents spent um, thousand points trying to kill him and never really managed to do much at all. He died once during the entire tournament, so that was uh, <laughs> that was really well worth the points. And um, so yeah, I, I really love that model, I really love the unit, and I love the damage output, and uh, I'm going to be using him a lot in the in the future. <laughs> oh yeah, that match was an eye-opener to be sure. Final table against the best player in Sweden, and uh, someone who I would rank probably top 10 in the whole world. Even though he's more of an ETC player than an ITC player, it was something I approached with a lot of nerves, I can tell you that. And unfortunately, it was also the first time I faced that particular list, so I was not really sure what to expect at all. And I did get to deploy first. He gave me uh, the option to do that, so I did. Um, and I deployed, expecting to start the game. I put my Thunderfire Cannon uh, completely out of position, and that was a stupid mistake by me. So he saw that, and he was like, hmm, I'm actually going to seize this, or at least try to seize it. And that was the moment I knew, oh no, I messed up. And he managed to seize it. 
he made a first turn charge, wrapped uh, the cannon, wrapped my characters, and I never got out of it. This is a pretty deadly list, all things considered, and as Jonas mentioned, Johan sailed through his opening matches, hammering his opponents with the raw firepower that the Iron Hands are capable of dishing out, but... Sometimes raw firepower just isn't enough, especially when playing against the best player in your country, and even more especially when that player sees they can pull out the win if they seize on you. Still, that's only a 1 in 6 chance, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that match was an eye-opener to be sure. Final table against the best player in Sweden, and that's someone who I would definitely rank amongst probably top 10 players in the world, easily. I approached that match with a lot of nerves, I can promise you that. And it was also unfortunately the first time I ever faced that kind of particular list. So, no, I did not know what to expect at all. And I did get to go first, so I started to deploy, and uh, unfortunately I made a mistake, deployed my Thunderfire Cannon to the side of my army instead of smack in the middle of it. And uh, when he noticed that, he was like, I'm gonna actually try to seize. And that's when I know that, oh no, if he seizes now, this is going to be really bad. And he did. He seized me. So he made a first turn charge, he wrapped my cannon, and then he started wrapping the rest of my army. And I did manage to kill a lot of his units, um, like 70 models or something. I never really got out of the wrap, and never managed to score. So he won. Well deserved. First off, I would like to give a big shout out to the tournament organizer. Wonderful guy. He did an amazing job, and it was a great tournament all in all. On a more practical note though, I would like to comment on the Iron Hand FAQ and the nerfs they implement since I did play Iron Hands. Uh, and um, I think the GW missed the mark a little bit on that one. They focused all the nerfs on the survivability and the synergies of that, and thus making the um, special character completely irrelevant, at least in my opinion. Uh, I think they should have more balanced the nerfs a bit, maybe kept the invul bubble and uh, thusly keeping Ferios irrelevant, and then nerfed some of the damage output. For example, moving and firing heavy weapons without uh, penalty should have been an infantry only thing. Or maybe a reroll once to hit would have been if you remained stationary or something. But something to that effect, and that's balanced out the nerfs a little bit. Now the damage output is still insane, and the survival, can uh, you can get around it. Now I've been following Kyle Abramson's uh, lists pretty closely for going on a year now. He was the first player to win a major or GT with Gene Steeler Cults after their codex dropped, and has maintained a streak of top performances throughout the season whenever he can. We've even talked about him on the show, if only because Menelik Eriksson has twice now taken essentially this exact same list to the limit at Swedish majors, and now we actually get a chance to listen to the legend himself. Hi, this is Carl Abrahamson. Uh, from Sweden, talking about me winning the SLG Championships this weekend. I have been playing a um, list, Unisly Cults and Tyranids. Basically the Kraken Slingshot with um, Swarmlord. And the Pauper Princess 60 Acolytes with 40 Hand Flamers and the Spot Characters. It is the same list I brought to the uh, ETC and... While not meant for the ITC, it works quite well. And I could not be bothered to actually fix a new army. The list is Swarmlord plus two units of 18 Steelers, which I use to control the board round one. After round one, I start dropping my Acolytes. Uh, Pop Princess, Acolytes with a uh, Deliverance Brood Surge, Might from Beyond, and um, 
Primus buff will kill basically anything in the game once it hits. This time around I also used a unit of demo bikes, uh, which I only used to draw fire from the gene stealers round one. They did that good they did that job quite well, but I am going to remove them for something else. Uh, probably some more hand flamers and a couple of rock saws. My MVPs are always the uh, acolytes. You cannot go wrong with Pauper Princess Acolytes and if you haven't tried them and are still using the Cult of the Formed Emperor, you should give them a whirl. The uh, highlight from the, this uh, week's tournament was actually uh, me losing to Tom Batsford. He played a Raven Guard Imperial, Imperial Fist list, which was rock hard with three Thunderfire Cannons, two units of Assault Centurions, loads and loads of Intercessors and those damned snipers which basically took my entire army apart. In the uh, final game I played um, Joanne Nicolaisen and he played the uh, Iron Hand list with uh, double um, repulsors, dreads, chaplain dreads and loads of loads of nasty things. Uh, he played a good game and I was actually Going into the game, I actually thought he was going to take me, but he made a crucial error. I won the roll to go first to second, and of course I went second. I chose to deploy my entire army out line of sight, and I only ever deploy Swarmlord plus the Steelers, and keep most of everything of usually cult either in blips or in reserve. He then placed his Thunderfire cannon within sealer range and I rolled two C's and got the six. I still reckon that I would have won the game doing exactly the same thing if I had not ceased, but this saved me a Vect which I could later use for a three point fight again stratagem on my genes to probably, probably wrap in his uh, librarian and hold my genes in the game. I don't consider Space Marines to be broken or imbalanced. I simply think that they are really powerful and will be the new meta which we have to adjust to. I really hope that we won't see as many repulsors, uh, especially Iron Hand repulsors, uh, because they're not fun to play I assume. They just do everything really good, but my guess is that the meta will arrange itself around it and you used to be able to kill knights you still can kill them, just go at them. The list that I'm really worried about is it in Iron Hands. Uh, it will be the White Scars Intercessor spam when that hits. And if you play 60, 70, 80 Intercessors in White Scars, that's gonna be a list that most people can't handle. Especially not putting Assault Bolters on them and running them with Khan. Uh, and in conclusion, I'm not really an ITC player, so I can't really comment how good Space Marines will be in the ITC meta. I think that in the ETC they will be okay. I still think we'll see almost every single team take them, but it will be as a um, defender army, not an attacker army. It won't actually win all its uh, fights as big as it should. And I would just like to give a quick shout out to Menelik Eriksson, who actually made my list internet famous. Thanks for that, man. Thanks, Carl, and congratulations.
Let's get one of them bumps. Tournament news. I'm Lawrence Baker. And this is the B-Bone from Tabletop Tactics. You're listening to 40K Stat Center. I think maybe we should use BCP. We could let everyone know that we're having a tournament. The clans would be united and know what day to play. And the Heath and the Falcon, they could find us more easily to talk about us on the internet. Aye, spreadsheet and you may die. BCP and you may love, at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our antiquated and backwards way of running a tournament. Excel Gobra. Wow. I've seen that scene probably a hundred times, but I never realized just how far back Scottish weirdness for running tournaments really went. I learned something today, and for that, I thank you. You're welcome, Pete. And you know what else? The Freedom GT2 was run this past weekend with 35 players using that fancy Glass Hammer mission pack we were talking about earlier. Correcto mundo, Heffalorino. The Freedom GT took place in Stirling, home of the famous Battle of Stirling Bridge, which is actually somehow a way cooler battle than the one depicted in Braveheart. True story. Look it up. For some more scintillating details of the event, we kick it over to the TO, Jordan Clifford, for the details. Hello, I'm Jordan Clifford, the head CEO at Red Rose Gaming. Um, Red Rose Gaming has been running for just over a year now. Um, I've been attending events for a little over five years. Uh, last year I decided to have a quick go at uh, running an event myself and setting myself a new challenge and it went well and I've kind of stuck with it from there and the event has grown. Over the, uh, from last year to this year so this year was the second year that the Freedom GT ran uh, based up in Scotland so mainly getting the Scots at the event with the odd people travelling from England uh, we're also seeing a lot of the Scottish ETC players in attendance of the event so with Iron Hands uh, dominating the meta at the moment uh, we saw that Chaos Knights won this year's Freedom GT with three knights with double thermal cannon and iron storms, which was a great counter to the list. Uh, the Chaos Knights could also double up at killing off infantry as well as the mechanised aspects of the Iron Hands. So you'll start seeing a lot of units popping up in the meta that can deal with both infantry and mechanised units. Um, so stuff like Harlequin's uh, Haywire Skyweavers, they'll be a great example. Um, Orcs will still uh, be quite good in the meta with um, their smasher guns are great at uh, removing tanks. Uh, the relic shock attack gun will still see a lot of play. So with the new Salamanders and Imperial Fists supplements just on the horizon, um, I think we're going to be, see going to be seeing the uh, meta shift again. Uh, Imperial Fists seem very strong and Salamanders seem to be very good with their ridiculous strats for Imperium Soup armies and they'll be both tending towards more infantry based armies compared to the more mechanised lists of Iron Hands. 
I think Ironhands will still see play um, in the meta. Um, but it'll give a bit more variety. Um, it will be interesting to see what the new meta will shape up to be post Salamanders and Imperial Fist supplements. Um, I think the Imperial Fist are going to be the strongest pure supplement. After four rounds of battle for tabletop sovereignty, only two Patriots remained. Bernard Lee and the previous year's champ, Aiden Higgins. Let's have a quick look at what old Bern brought with him. So Bernard Lee brought a, an Iron Hands successor battalion with Master Artisans and Stealthy for his traits. His first HQ was a Captain on Bike with Chainsword and Storm Shield. He had the Imperium Sword Warlord trait. His second HQ was a Chaplain with Jump Pack. And he had a third HQ that was just a plain old librarian with the Psy Steel Armor and Blessing of the Machine God for his powers. And he gave him the Tome of Malkador Relic, which let him take a third power. He then had three squads of uh, scouts, two of them with uh, bolt guns, one with sniper rifles. And he topped it off with three land speeders with uh, triple heavy bolters and triple typhoon missile launchers. In his heavy slot, he had a thunderfire cannon and a mortis dreadnought with two twin las cannons. He then had an air wing detachment with three Storm Talon gunships and a second air wing detachment with three Storm Hawk intercessors. All of them, of course, running that Master Artisans and Stealthy combo. Absolutely amazing. Love the land speeders. Why don't we let Bernard tell us all about them? Yeah, there was nothing really special about the approach to the list. There was a last minute FAQ drop, and the event allowed players that are playing Iron Hands to do last minute tweaks. So it was either between going with Invicta Warsuits or my current, the, the build that I used, which was based around land speeders and flyers. Uh, and since I could get hold of the land speeders and the flyers easier than I could get hold of the Warsuits, I, the only thing I really want to comment on is that the sky is not falling post FAQ. Uh, the flyers are great for damage output, but being T6, 10 wounds, 3 up save, and without the ability to double turn like Elder Flyers, they, they are definitely manageable. The MVPs of the list were, was definitely the Storm Talons. I know a lot of people think that they're slightly more expensive with less guns and also only T7 compared to the Stormhawks, but that additional plus one to hit just meant they were so good at clearing chaff and when they were damaged you can just go fly backfield and just hover and clear any backfield units. The underrated unit within the list though uh, would have been the land speeders. I think a lot of people just look at land speeders and think it's just a T5 six wind model and don't expect damage output from them. But when you have three of them stacking it with the plus one to wound and the additional wounds on sixes, uh, it, it really it really outperforms any other unit within the list in terms of damage. Squaring off would be fellow Team Scotland member Aidan Higgins. All right, here we go. This is a chaos list, so I'm out of my comfort zone here. Uh, but we're going to do our best here. It starts off with a battalion detachment. The HQ is a Flux Master. Uh, and then the second HQ, a Herald of Slanesh. Troop slots are three uh, units of ten Brimstone Horrors. And then there's a Supreme Command Detachment, Thousand Sons, uh, which includes an Araman on Disc of Zinch, two Demon Princes of Zinch, and um, the 
That's it. Uh, one of the demon princes is the warlord and is carrying the helm of the third eye relic. And then finally, in this, uh, there's a super heavy detachment where things get a little spicy. We got three, count them three, knight despoilers with two thermal cam cannons each and iron storm missile pods. Not bad. Nope, this is a, this is a list. I, I'm not sure what to think of it. Uh, I really do like the double thermal cannon uh, chaos knights. Are you They're... ready to say that that's a thing yet? Because I'm seeing it all over the place all of a sudden. Oh yeah, for sure. It's definitely, it's been a thing since shortly after chaos knight codex was released it's just there were uh, the meta really um handled them very well now that the caladius grav tanks out of the picture and a few other uh, pieces are gone and we have this big surgence in uh, space marines with the uh, especially iron hand vehicles um it it is a thing because they can kill repulsors uh, if uh, now unfortunately the, the repulsor meta seems to have mostly disappeared you're still going to see them on those this joke sky shield landing pad uh, lists and a few other ways, but I can't believe uh, that. That's the thing. It's I, I don't think that's a thing, thing that's going to win anything, though. No, but it's going to exist, and uh, those knights will kill it at least. Yeah. So right. there's a few there's a few things, quote unquote, that you're going to see. I'm I'm I know I'm going to see at almost every tournament at least one or two of. Um, they're just not going to. I don't think they're going to win anything because they're immobile and silly. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, why don't we kick it over to Aiden and uh, let him talk about his lists and that always interesting MVP. Is there anything special about your approach to this list that you'd like to point out or comment on? Uh, I just took this list for a bit of fun. Yeah, I seen that there was going to be a lot of iron hands because a lot of the guys that were going have just bought like three repulsors and stuff. So I thought, I don't want to get hammered, but my usual arcs can't play that so I thought I'll just take some thermal knights so three double thermal uh, chaos knights and thought it'd be fun to play and turned out it was pretty good at killing other knights and islands. Uh, MVP unit for the weekend was it was probably the thermal knights they just rinsed so much stuff. Uh, game Two, I played against six Iron Hand successor flyers. Uh, went first, turn one. Shot three out of the sky, just with uh, the thermal cannons. Uh, wasted all my other guns, I thought I needed a bit more. Turn two, shot it all three out of the sky. Um, playing against uh, a night player in game three. Uh, Death Hex, these night and killed it with one one night with the thermal cannons they were so good they just killed the world it was amazing both players shared some highlights from the event as well as their thoughts on the final matchup the highlight of the event was probably game one where my again my opponent kind of underestimated what the land speeders could do um I was playing against an iron hand repulsor list and without a ferrous buff buffing the executioners the land speeders were able to knock out one repulsor by themselves in turn one the favorite match would probably be, be game three it's probably also one of the toughest matches that i didn't lose uh, that was against ns wilson we were both playing marines and pretty much end up on turn seven with four models each he took an early lead and i just kind of clawed it back 
during the late games. And the final table match was against Aiden. I think the turning point was when I got a little bit too greedy in turn one and tried to take out two knights uh, and end up flying all of my flyers within range, uh, within melter range of all the knights. Uh, instead, I should have just hung around backboard and shot missiles for a turn and guaranteed one knight rather than gambling for the two and possibly turn two when Aiden's saves were extremely hot shot everything at the half wounded knight and didn't bring it down yeah, one of the, the highlights that should probably be a low light was uh, game one uh, I was matched up against uh, Castellan and some Death Watch and I was going fast, I set up on the line and the guy seized on me um, and moved his castellan up from the back of the board a bit further forward and unloaded everything into a knight. It was a headsman's mark uh, castellan and only done eight wounds to one of my knights and because he'd moved forward it left him in range of a a warp time and a death X. Uh, so a death X he's castellan and killed it done 25 wounds with the first knight. Um, also, Forbidden Gem, the Smash Captain, that uh, charged into two of my knights, and that was quite that was quite good. Uh, final match in the top table, I was playing against uh, Bernard Lee, he's one of my good friends. Uh, we played a practice game uh, the week before, uh, and he'd actually gave me a little bit of advice on tweaks to make to my list. Um, so I played against him in the last game. Uh, He'd iron six iron hands flyers and three speeders all with typhoons. So if he goes first, he kills a knight and a half. Uh, he went first and he killed a knight and a half. Uh, then I went and I killed three planes and took another two down to one and two wounds with a combination of smites. Managed to charge one with a demon prince and shot the rest with the, the knights. And then my turn two. I tanked so many four plus saves on my night that he, he didn't kill the one that was on half wounds and from there it was just kind of okay. Yeah, I'd just like to give a, a shout out to Jordan Clifford for running the event. Yeah, it's the second year I've been, the second time he's run it and the second time I've won it. Um, thanks to all my opponents, uh, Bernard, Dave, uh, John, Gavin and Tim. Um, it was a good event and definitely be going back next year if he runs it again and so there you have it folks Aiden bags his second Freedom GT and remains the freest man in Scotland just for the love of Mel Gibson would someone show these guys how to use BCP I mean we'd even settle for down under pairings tournament news this is the best general Adam Abramowitz and you're listening to 40k stat center your number one source for 40k news and tournament information the final stop on our global tour of Grimdark takes us to Alabama. Some say it's a sweet home. Others, a sweet place for a 40k fucking tournament. That's right, it's the Come the Apocalypse GT squeaking by with just 28 players. It's a GT run with love by Robert Chandler and his pals over on the Come the Apocalypse podcast. So Warzone Come the Apocalypse is a 32-player grand tournament event uh, hosted here in Dothan, Alabama. Uh, this, is our, this was our third year running it. Um, several years ago, our, 
our gaming group got together and decided that we wanted to try and bring a, a the grand tournament experience to our local players here. So uh, we started the plans, uh, started working on it, and we created a podcast, uh, Come the Apocalypse podcast, and uh, we started laying the groundwork to run it. Um, and it's been going now three years straight. Well, this year our event was, of course, more marine-heavy than probably uh, ever before. Uh, obviously, with the launch of the new codexes and supplements, Marines are, are quite strong. Uh, so they had a very strong presence uh, in, at our event, for sure. Uh, most of our players come from the South region. Um, we have players travel from all over um, the Southeast area, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and of course, Alabama. Uh, the one player who, who flew, who traveled the furthest was, uh, was Red Powell, and he came in from Kansas. Uh, this year to play with us. Well, I think with the Marine meta right now, it's just, it's kind of too early to tell uh, just how effective some armies can be against uh, against it. Obviously, um, a lot of their stratagems and, and their and their rules and the way they, the army can be constructed is a lot different from every other army and faction out there. Uh, we've noticed uh, a lot of players leaning towards uh, trying to be aggressive and as, as fast as possible to try and tie down shooting units as quickly as possible, uh, and also a, a focus primarily on, on more weapons that uh, you know are straight flat to damage or, or can do multiple wounds to try and deal with a lot of the Primaris threats out there. Of course, given it was an opportunity for some Warzone Atlanta practice before the big day in a couple of weeks, hashtag Heffelfinger's coming for you, Kelly and the boys from Hotlanta piled into the General Lee and took a rip further south to participate. Rising to the top of this general staff of misfits was a bit of a 40k legend, if you will. This Sasquatch-sized competitor might be familiar to listeners of Forge the Narrative from back in the bad old days of Whitaker and Abramowitz complaining about how southern 40k players didn't get any respect. They would often tell tall tales of a certain man with a bellowing laugh, a penchant for rolling hot fire and a fetish for ultramarines. This man is, of course, Thomas Bird. And for one of the first times that I can think of, we managed to get a live connection to his moonshine shack in the Smoky Mountains to discuss 40K. So, Thomas Bird was running a battalion detachment of ultramarines with Chief Librarian Tigurius and a tech marine on bike. His troops were three squads of scouts, uh, with a combination of uh, bolt guns and bolt pistols. He then had a Relic Leviathan Dreadnought with those Storm Cannon arrays and a Thunderfire Cannon. In a Vanguard detachment of Ultramarines, he had a Chaplain Venerable Dreadnought and a Relic Contemptor Dreadnought, as well as three, count them, three squads of Victrix Honor Guard. Ooh. And then he had a Repulsor Executioner in his heavy support slot, and he rounded it all out with good old Bobby G. Well, there you go. He won a GT with the weakest of the Astartes uh, supplement books. Uh, yeah, small field, but uh, this is nice for the boys in blue. They got a lot of fans out there. They do, and I mean, it's it, it's not like it's the first time they've won since their codex came out. Although sure. they're they're definitely in a much harder situation. Um, Stats wise, Ultramarines have been underperforming compared to the other supplements. 
part of that is um, other than the the Iron Hands blip, they are the most popular. Um, so you do get a lot of drag down on their numbers from players um, maybe not playing them to the peak of their capabilities. Um, that being said, this is a very interesting list. I'm really hoping Thomas goes into into depth on these Honor Guard. I love the Honor Guard models. I love their rules. I, I think this is probably the first time I've seen someone run the full six. Well, Pete, it's a lonely life down there for a man of such unmatched 40k wit and skill, so I'm just going to cut you short, and we will now present our audience with a heavily edited dissertation of Thomas's Come the Apocalypse experience, as well as some of his favorite tech for bringing Ultramarines to a tournament. The exciting part of the new version of Ultramarines and the new releases, obviously you have some new rules, um, you have some new options. So I've been playing my list for over two years. Uh, you can only play the same list and change uh, so many choices before you find like uh, you've got the a well-oiled machine and there's nothing you can really do. And then it just becomes a, a exercise of how can you optimize your play against each opponent. But now yeah, it's a wild world out there, new options, new choices, old options that were no good. Now with the new doctrines and chapter tactics and stratagems are new again. So it's very exciting to play new Ultramarines. And you can imagine my excitement as uh, uh, I saw the leagues coming out. I have the book in my hand. Um, very excited. And even with the changes to Rowboat, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Probably one of the most question units or misunderstood units that I use in the game uh, in my ultimate list is uh, Victrix Guard. You know, everyone kind of understands, hey, they're bodyguards. Uh, I can look out wounds. Um, but they don't really understand how I use them and, and why they're there and how do I survive against lists like Gene Stiller Colt and uh, heavy guard lists or, or knights with 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 very few guys for screening. You know, how do you stop the smash captain from coming in when you only got six infantry on the board? So it's a it's a it's quite interesting, but it's all about how you play them and how do you manipulate their heroic intervention. It's a it's it's a skill based army. Uh, it doesn't really lend itself to uh, throwing it out on the table and not having experience. With a new addition, you can add the chaplain in and his mortal wound bubble against the right list. Now everyone has five ups against mortal wounds. That's such a such a big thing when you're talking about elite models that have uh, no save against that. Um, the Victrix in, in, in my army list serve many purposes, both in ITC and Warzone missions, uh, engineers, they work great for engineers. They serve as a great durable unit that can just push up and screen for a rowboat as he runs forward. Um, you don't really want to dedicate heavy weapons to shooting at those guys, but they got a two plus save and a three up and vulnerable save. So small arms aren't necessarily going to pick them off. And in a pinch, if rowboat needs some help to look out a wound, they're expendable there as well. But they have a lot of attacks. Now with shock assault, five attacks each on a charge or heroic intervention, that's 10 power sword attacks. Thunderfire Cannon, if you haven't used it, if you don't know about it, Tremor Shell, if you haven't been hit by it, oh man, you know, that unit, I've been using that for years and years, and uh, it's gotten even better in 8th edition 2.0, right? Because now if you want to, you can shoot twice. Uh, those Disco Lords bringing you down, 
just pop them with uh, some tremor shells and you don't have to worry about them for another turn. Um, you know, some grotesques want to charge you. Uh, well, they can stay over there for a couple more turns while you just playing away at them. So lots of power in the tremor shell. And then just from a, you know, out of line of sight, that's always powerful, always punishing when you could just pick off units, small uh, scoring units that are hanging out behind a wall. So, of course, there's a lot more Thunderfire cannons out there these days and Iron Hands with extra uh, extra rerolls. They can be self-supportive or, you know, maybe Imperial Fist where they ignore cover. You know, you have to be able to deal with a Thunderfire cannon if you're an opponent. Some kind of things to think about just from a playing against my list or playing with it. Uh, some tips and tricks, if you will. Um, one of the things is a good gotcha with the Leviathan. Everyone seems to know, hey, Storm Cannon raised 24 inches. Leviathan moves 8. 32 is the magic number. I'm going to be 32.1 inches away. So people are kind of trained, especially in my area. They know what the Leviathan did do. They definitely know what I can do with it. They're going to stay at 32.1 inches, especially on turn one, so that I can't charge them or shoot at them the first turn, I mean. Uh, but now with redeploy, it's it's not uncommon to kind of just catch somebody in a little bit of a lapse by de not deploying them right on the line. He's such short range, you're just used to deploying them right on the line. Or they'll just measure directly from the Leviathan, not thinking about where the deployment zone is. Hey, you put him two inches off the line, and they measure directly to the Leviathan, all of a sudden you redeploy, you just move him up two inches, all of a sudden, now look, I can move and I'm in range. Big surprise, and that catches people off guard. So I felt I uh, had a list that I thought could do well. Um, the Marines redeploy stratagem is so clutch. It's so critical for if you don't go first or if you want to bait your opponent um, into deploying a certain way uh, or if you just want to you know, redeploy because uh, you've made a mistake yourself, um, you have that option. And it really kind of helps mitigate some of that turn one deployment when you you don't go get what you need to go or you need to re rethink your strategy. Uh, that has saved me several times during the tournament. Uh, I was able to, you know, maneuver opponent into deploying a certain area and I changed my units, uh, three key units, and uh, you know that, that really breaks the game. When the Leviathan's out of range and then all of a sudden he's in range turn one, that could really be crippling for some opponent's armies. Another one is Rowboat's uh, new warlord trait, even though he's lost all rerolls wounds, uh, he still has a new little trick up his sleeve that kind of catches folks off guard. I have heroic intervention. I told you how powerful that is on the Vitrix guard, but even scouts have that ability now. Any infantry or bikes with Robot's new warlord trait. So a lot of people just don't really think about how powerful heroic intervention is in the world of assault. If you're really good at assault, you are adept at charging the right units to avoid overwatch. You know how to move and pile in and get extra movement to trap units. That's a critical skill when you're trying to play the game. And if you can interrupt that, if you could stop somebody from getting free movement uh, by just piling in uh, out of sequence uh, with your units that they aren't necessarily thinking can, like scouts or, or Vitrix guard if they don't think about their rules, um, that's hugely powerful. And that game versus Chris was probably my best game of the uh, of the match of the tournament. We played in round four, um, and uh, it was very close, back and forth. There was a couple key moments that really kind of turned the game for me to win, and it really came down to Psychic Fortress. I got into a position where I was forced to send Robot up to do work. That invariably happens when Disco Lords and Defilers are in your lines. 
And uh, now he's standing up front ready to get smited. And uh, I psychic fortress up. And, man, I just bossed a bunch of four-up saves like I do. And uh, much to, sh- to Chris's chagrin, and Robo stayed alive. And so it was quite comical uh, rolling the dice and seeing that big swing. But another one kind of comes back to that kind of MVP unit, that unit I go to that all the time, that Victrix guard. Uh, at one point, Chris had a key moment where he's trying to charge uh, Defiler into uh, a repulsor. And so he charges a, a Victrix guard that was standing out front uh, absorbing smites. And uh, he's like, I'm going to charge that Victrix guard and a Defiler. So he goes to roll his charge. And uh, the, the, the minus two from the repulsor actually caused him to fail the charge. He wasn't able to get into range of the repulsor, but he was just able to get in range of that Victrix guard. So he moved him up within one inch. Um, wasn't really thinking about it. Didn't have the movement anyways. And uh, was just thinking he was going to pile that defiler in and, and eat that repulsor. But that Victrix guard heroically intervened with his one last wound and uh, held that defiler in place and saved that repulsor. And that led to the repulsor breaking free and shooting so kind of to close things up, I really appreciate the time. Uh, love talking about my list. I have a lot of folks that kind of hit me up. Again, my army is not just off the first cut, something that you can easily just go out there and push models to really be successful with. It really has to do with a lot of practice. I've been playing this army for two-plus years, again, and I've only kind of tweaked that list slightly uh, to kind of take account some of the new changes, adding a chaplain here, changing out some of the venators that I used to take for some dreadnoughts with some of the stratagems that they have. Um, but uh, just play some games. I mean, whatever army that you play, uh, get some reps in. It's all about practice. Play against a lot of opponents. I'm lucky here in Atlanta where I live to have a lot of great uh, opponents that play all the different armies. So we get to see a wide variety and get exposure to all the different lists out there. And then, you know, don't get scared when the new hotness comes out. Like, if you're not interested in playing that, you know you're going to face it, play a bunch of games on it. I learn the most from the games I lose. I hardly remember the games I win. It's it's really more about bragging rights with my friends. But honestly, every time I lose a game, it's, it's back in analyzing. It's, hey, can I make a different choice here on a unit? Uh, was this the right decision to charge was this the right decision to go after this objective did i pick the right secondaries on itc etc etc so you just really play the game and then don't get lost in all that analyzation it's real easy to be just like crunching numbers constantly and we talk warhammer 24 7 around here but uh you got to have fun while you're playing and you know again at the end of the day i was lucky i was able to win had some great opponents but you know i want to have fun throughout the whole event and And, you know, hopefully I was able to bring that fun to my opponents as well. There you have it, folks. Come what may, come the apocalypse even. And Thomas will be there with his sons of Gullyman. And apparently a metric fuck ton of Vitrixgard. All right. Well, on that F-bomb, folks, uh, I think that's it for this show. Thank you to everyone who took the time from their lives to contribute. We hope uh, that that this gets you uh, in time for your long road trips en route to this weekend's events. Um, speaking of which, Falcon, you're flying down to the SoCal. You're going to be on the stream. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm uh, sitting in a hotel room right now, actually. Going to take a flight first thing in the morning. The beautiful, gorgeous coconut that is Pablo Martinez is picking me up at the airport around 2 in the afternoon. What a lovely tomorrow. bunch of coconuts. 
he's he is a, he's definitely a bunch of them, but he's a glorious man, and I am super thankful. Uh, so yeah, guys, I mentioned it earlier. If uh, you're coming out to SoCal, you can check me out at the stream table. I'll be there with Mariana all day, every day for both days, uh, bringing coverage to the event and uh, checking up on your lists if you did them wrong. So I'll be there and be mad at you. All right, and uh, I'll tell you, Pete's passive aggressiveness is first class. Um, the aggression, though, uh, leaves a lot to be desired by American standards. And on that note, uh, do you have anything else to add? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.